We're so pleased that uh, you are here today, and we're thankful that we can all be together in this place uh, to worship our God and Father in heaven. I know that we have longtime members here, new members here, regular visitors here. Maybe you've just been here a couple times. Maybe this is your first time in this place to, to worship with us. We want everyone to feel welcome in this place. We need this, don't we? Who needs this gathering? Say amen. We need this. You know, you can, you can get on the internet and you can find a sermon better than the one you will hear this morning. You can find worship music that sounds better than what you heard this morning, as good as our singing is. You can find all those things, but what you can't find on the internet is this. Being able to be together in community with fellow living, breathing brothers and sisters in Christ, that's what you can't get. And that's what God knows we so desperately need. And that's why He has set out in His Word that His people, the Church of Christ, come together every Sunday and more often for the purpose of worshiping God and enjoying and experiencing fellowship with one another. We're thankful that you're here. Back in June, Chris Pratt, one of the most bankable stars in Hollywood, star of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and the Jurassic World movies, big Hollywood movie star, received the Generation Award at the MTV Movie and TV Awards. And just so you know, I was not watching that live. That is not on my must-watch list. I heard about this later. When Chris Pratt came up on the stage, he said to the very young audience, I'm going to cut to the chase, and I'm going to speak to you, the next generation. I accept the responsibility as your elder. He may only be in his late 30s or 40. But he said, I am your elder, mostly young crowd, so listen up. And then he shared his nine rules for living. Rule number four was this. When giving a dog medicine, put the medicine in a little piece of hamburger and they won't even know they're eating medicine. One of his nine rules of living. I don't think that would make my top nine. Would it yours? Maybe a a helpful tip. Some of his rules were silly like that one, but some were actually quite good. And his ninth and final rule stands out the most. He said this, nobody is perfect. People will tell you that you are perfect just the way that you are. You are not. You are imperfect You always will be. And to that I say, you go, Chris Pratt. You preach, Chris Pratt. That is true. Pratt in front of a large audience of young people and people watching all over the country on their TVs deftly exposed an insidious lie That we hear every day in our culture, you are fine just the way you are. You are perfect just the way you are. We hear this in many different iterations. And he said, that's not true. He reminded us that's not true. But many of us don't need the reminder. 
Because we know it's not true. In our gut, we know that we've got a problem. And I think the reason that we know this is a lie is because we keep having to tell ourselves this over and over again. You're perfect the way you are. You're fine just the way you are. In our gut, we know it's a lie. And at the end of the day, it's difficult to believe a lie. The Apostle Paul knew that this cultural lie that Pratt exposed in an odd place, and and listen, sometimes you find truth in odd places. Sometimes you find truth even in Hollywood. That's the case with this statement. He exposes this lie. The Apostle Paul knows that it's not true. I think about Romans chapter 7, starting at around verse 15, when the Apostle Paul speaks words that I guarantee Everybody in the room today can relate to. He says, the thing that I want to do, I don't do. And the thing that I don't want to do, that is what I do. I have the desire to do what is right, but I often don't have the ability to carry it out. There is a war being waged within me between good and evil. There is a constant tug of war. This is the Apostle Paul. This is the one to whom Jesus appeared on the road to Damascus. This is the one who wrote most of our New Testament, who preached the gospel in many places. One of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. He says, I want to do the right thing, but I don't. It's the bad, it's the evil thing that I do instead. You're perfect just the way that you are. It's a lie. Don't believe it for a second. It's not what the scriptures teach. In fact, the scriptures tell us the problem. The scriptures give us the vocabulary we need to diagnose the problem. The problem is sin. This tiny three-letter word that has fallen out of our cultural vocabulary. In fact, this word in our culture today is almost like the title Voldemort in the Harry Potter books. Don't speak the word. Don't say it. That which must not be named. Shh. Don't talk about sin. We must talk about sin. We must talk about it because the scriptures tell us that is the problem within us and around us. The problem that everybody knows exists. And it's been a problem since the fall of mankind, since Adam and Eve chose to eat that fruit that God had commanded them not to eat and they rebelled against their good creator. And they chose a life of independence rather rather than dependence on God. And it's been a problem ever since. It is all around us. The effects of sin, we have seen it this week. In the violence, in the hatred, threats of bombings, shootings. And as we look out in our society today, we see there is a general sorrow. There is anxiety, there is depression, there is an increase in suicide rates, there is addiction, there are people right down the road from us who are on drugs, who are overdosing. We've got a problem. The ruinous effects of sin are everywhere. But they're not just out there, they're in our families in our friends, people's lives that have been shipwrecked by sin, 
And you know that sin is not just something that's out there, that's not just around us, not just in your, in your family, it's in you. It's in you. You struggle with it. And maybe you say, well, I don't have any of the big issues. Listen, sin is sin and it's serious business. So I don't want to say you deal with smaller sins. Maybe we'll call them more subtle sins. You struggle with selfishness, with trying to achieve your own agenda in underhanded ways instead of looking out for the well-being of others. With lust, we have sin within us. We are sinners. And sin prevents us from drawing near to a holy God who is the source of life. We cannot, as sinful creatures, draw near to God who can give life and therefore instead, by default, we face death. I think about what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. He says it quite succinctly. Sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin is an infection. And we are all sick with it. And we are sick not just because Adam is our ancestor, but because we continue to sin. We perpetuate sinful lifestyles and behaviors and cycles Everybody on the face of this planet is infected with sin. We are a broken people. We are not just fine the way we are. We are not perfect as we are. We have a problem and the problem is sin. But God, but God in his grace did something about it. With the Mosaic covenant came a system for handling sin, for dealing with the sin problem in his people. Sacrifices and offerings, when God delivered the law through Moses to the people, Moses is up on Mount Sinai, the people gathered at the base of the mountain. God is entering into a covenant relationship with his people and their end of the bargain is to be obedient to the law that is coming through Moses, and as a part of the law, there was a system of sacrifices and offerings that could be offered to God in order to take care of sin, in order to atone for sin. And just to be clear, sacrifices and offerings were important before the time that the law was delivered to Moses, as we read about in the, the Old Testament. But they... At the law, at the giving of the law, it became a more systematized process. There were burnt offerings, if you read the book of of Leviticus. There were grain and drink offerings. There uh, were peace or fellowship offerings and guilt offerings. But for our purposes today, we should notice the sin or purification offering, which was the primary blood atonement offering that would secure forgiveness of sins. Let me, I don't want to bore you. But let me tell you a little bit about this. Sin offerings were made at, the, at a lot of different occasions. The consecration of priests, they were made on a monthly basis. At various annual festivals, on the annual day of atonement, after the cleansing of a woman after childbirth, and on other uh, occasions. There were very detailed rules about what to do with the blood of the animal in this offering. 
the priest would sprinkle the blood seven times in front of the veil of the sanctuary, which was in the tabernacle, the holy place of God, before the temple was established. The priest would put some of the blood on the horns of the incense altar inside the holy place. And he would pour out the remainder at the base of the burnt offering altar. So in a sense, the blood touched every contaminated place in the tabernacle complex. You can read about this in Leviticus chapter 4. So the blood of the sacrificed animal went as far as the sin and had a cleansing effect for sin. So if sin is the infection, then these sacrifices ordained by God, practiced by His people in the Old Testament, they are like the antibiotics of the sin infection. Take them and you you take care of your sins. You cover over your sins. You sort of set your sins off to the side for a while in order for your relationship, your covenant with God to continue. The problem with this whole process is that if you stop taking your medicine, the infection returns. There is a regular, there is a perpetual feature to this. You've got to keep doing it over and over and over again, and it never completely heals. And if you stop doing it, the infection returns worse than before. It was an exhausting practice. I felt exhausted just reading that to you. Did you feel exhausted listening? Maybe bored out of your mind? Maybe you were thinking, how are they expected to do these things? Maybe you were thinking, I'm so glad I'm not expected to do these things. Ultimately, this was an insufficient process. And the Hebrews writer says quite clearly, it is impossible for the blood of animals, for bulls and goats to take away sins. Because at the end of the day, no animal was worthy of paying the price for a human's sin before a holy God. But all along the way, God hints of a better plan on the horizon. Through his prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, God says, I am sending my servant, one like a lamb, who will be led to the slaughter, a sheep who will be silent before his shearers, One who, like a lamb, would bear the sin of many. And do you remember in the Gospel of John, at the close of John the Baptist's ministry, you know, John was sent in order to point the way ahead to Jesus. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, John knows that his job is over. When Jesus comes through, what does John say? He points at him and he says, Behold, the what? The lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the better plan. This was God's plan. It was a result of God's grace. But all along the way, God knew it wasn't going to be enough. It wasn't sufficient. It was inadequate. He points ahead to Jesus. When Jesus comes along, it is established in the New Testament. He is the better plan. And His death is the final, the once and for all sacrifice for sins. And this is well established in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 10 especially, verses 10, 12, and 14. We're in the midst of this series more about Jesus. 
And we're trying to understand who Jesus really is. We're trying to get a better grasp of his significance. And we're going back and looking at all of these images and figures from the Old Testament. And what we learn today is that unlike all those inadequate offerings of animals and the blood of bulls and goats from the Old Testament, Jesus' death is the final sacrifice for sins. Jesus is the antidote to our infection. Those sacrifices in the Old Testament, like the antibiotics, we have to take over and over, but it never quite heals. Jesus heals completely. His sacrifice takes care of it. The law that came before was just a shadow of things to come. Jesus and his death is the antidote. Let me allow Chris Pratt to finish his speech, because this is remarkable. If you consider the setting in which this occurred, you are imperfect, he said, you always will be. But there is a powerful force that designed you that way. And if you are willing to accept that, you will have grace. And grace is a gift. Like the freedom that we enjoy in this country, that grace was paid for with somebody else's blood. Don't forget that, he said. Don't take that for granted. Now, maybe there are some gaps in his presentation. And maybe Chris Pratt doesn't have a full understanding of the gospel. But it seems to me he gets the gist of it. And in his presentation, though he doesn't use names, we know exactly who he's talking about, don't we? When he says, somebody else's blood. He's talking about Jesus. The final sacrifice for our sin. The lamb led to the slaughter to remove the sins of the world once and for all. It is good news. It's the news that we gather in order to declare every week. It's the news that should be on our lips when we're with people in our community. It's the news that should be so good we can't help but share it. But sometimes, I think it seems to us that the news is too good to be true. Surely God would not be willing to forgive all of my sins. Because I know better than anybody what I have done, what I have thought, the attitudes that I have. Surely Jesus didn't take care of all of that junk in my past and in my present. Surely he's not the ultimate final sacrifice. And so you know what we do? We try to make atonement for our own sins. We think we've got to work for it and we've got to put in all this effort and we've got to do something. We've got to do something in order to prove ourselves worthy before God, in order to justify ourselves before God, in order to to take care of those sins in our lives because surely God's love and grace is not that great. I mean, it goes part of the way, but, but maybe I've got to do my part too. When we should be resting and rejoicing in God's grace and of course being obedient as a result of our gratitude, often instead we're filled with guilt and anxiety and misery. Because we feel like I can never do enough, I can never do enough 
in order to take care of my sins. And God's message for us is, I have already taken care of your sins. It's all been done. Jesus paid it all. So stop living like you're under the old covenant. You're not. You're under the new covenant through Jesus Christ. And at the cross, it was handled. Your sin was dealt with. Jesus paid the full debt at Calvary. It's been done. The slate has been wiped clean. And if you come to me in obedience and faith, you will be made white as snow at the cross. God has forgiven your sins. And get this. He remembers them no more. God has chosen to forget your sins. To not hold them against you. To not bring them up again like often happens in our relationships where you bring something up from the past in order to hold it over that person with whom you're in a relationship. That ain't God. I will forgive their sins and I will remember them no more. They will be removed from my mind. They will be removed from my children as far as the east is from the west. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Jesus shed his blood for me. The blood that ran down from his head when they shoved that thorny crown on his brow. The blood that ran down from his hands and his feet, from the spikes, the iron spikes that they drove into his flesh. The blood that ran down from his side after they stabbed him with a spear. The blood that flows down is the means by which we can have forgiveness of sins and salvation. Jesus gave himself for us. Once and for all, it's been taken care of at the cross. And we come every week as sinners, saved by God's grace and made into saints, not by anything that we have done but because of what God did for us through Jesus. I often hear people say, man, if I show up at that church, the roof will probably fall in. Well, you know what? I'm no construction expert, but this feels pretty solid to me. And we've had notorious sinners meeting in this place, in this building, for 50 years. Now, I don't want to call you notorious sinners. No, actually, that's exactly what I want to call you and me and all of us. We are. We are notorious sinners. We've been coming here not because we have anything good to offer, but because we are so grateful for the God who has given us His all. And the building 
has held up just fine. There is room for all sinners, no matter how far away they have fallen, no no matter how far they've gone astray, there is room for all at the foot of the cross. And I stand up here every week, not as the one who will receive people who come forward. It's not my invitation. It's God's invitation. I stand up here every week because every single week I am the first who needs to respond because I am chief among sinners because I stand daily in need of God's grace available only through the blood of Jesus which God tells me As a baptized believer, as somebody who's trying to do his will, however imperfectly that the blood of Christ daily cleanses me of my sins. What grace. What love. What goodness. And you can come. And you can be forgiven of your sins. You can receive salvation and life through Jesus Christ. By repenting. By confessing that you believe he's the son of God by being baptized into water so that your sins will be washed away and you will be raised to new life as one who knows. Jesus paid it all and now I want to give my all to him. All to him I owe. My life is his because of what he's done for me. Or if you're struggling in any way and you want to come and uh, you want to be restored or you need prayers, then we want to offer up prayers for you and with you. Why don't you do that while we stand and sing?